0: tell you what, let me, let's me let do this. I was thinking about uh, how it feels like fall for the first time. First weekend, it really feels like fall, doesn't it? Uh, and I think it happened Friday. I woke up and it was cold outside. So uh, do me a favor so that I can pretend that I'm uh, not fixing my mic and turn to the person next to you and say, boy, it sure feels like fall. All right. All right. There we go. <laughs> So you guys say, boy, it sure feels like fall, and instantly my mic is repaired. How do you like that? Hey, it is so cool to be here with you today. So glad you decided to join us and uh, celebrate with community on this fall day. And let's just all look at Jesse right now and say, wow, Jesse wrote a book. You you didn't want us to do that, but we're going to do it anyway. Way to go, man. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. (laughs) All right. You know, I found out a little while back that one of the most unique sporting events in the world did not actually start out as a sporting event. How about that? I got one. hmm? All right. Yeah, it's true. One of the most unique sporting events in the world actually did not start out as a sporting event. Uh, Every year, riders and their dogs okay, race more than a thousand miles for several days across the frozen wilderness of Alaska, right? From Anchorage in the south all the way to Nome in the north, right? It's called what? You know what I'm talking about? Right. I did a ride. Yeah, right on. But you know, the genesis of the Iditarod race is actually way more, more remarkable than the race itself. Uh, the history of it is this. In 1925, hundreds of children in Nome had been exposed to a deadly bacterial infection called diphtheria. This was serious, and it was widespread, and the outbreak was, um, was just, just deadly, actually, at that time. And uh, the closest medication was 1,000 miles away in Anchorage. Uh, Now keep in mind, this was January in Alaska, okay, and this was uh, uh, pre-global warming, all right, so it was actually cold still. Uh, Nome was literally snow-packed, and the only way in and out was by dog sled, and the children in Nome were running out of time. And so in order to get the medicine to Nome quickly, teams of riders known as mushers, I love that name, mushers. kind of makes me want to be one, doesn't it, you? I want to be a musher. All right. Mushers and their dogs were strategically placed along the path to carry the medicine in a giant frozen relay race. And so with a a passionate and relentless uh, move towards Nome, the mushers carried this life-saving medicine across Alaska, arriving there in just 127 hours. All right. That's a record that still stands to this day. Did you know that? Is that interesting? More than 150 dogs and 20 mushers were involved in this heroic effort which became known as the great race of mercy. The great race of mercy. And so what you have here is they combined the right medicine with a radical effort and hundreds of lives were saved. The right medicine and a heroic effort. Hundreds of lives uh, were saved. Now... uh, the it right, I think we would agree, had an incredible origin. But now, I mean, truth being told, I mean, it's what? It's a sporting event. Uh, still a big deal, right? I mean, teams run that similar path. Uh, but the motivation today is dramatically different, right? Because they still tie, you know, sleds behind dogs, but they're not racing necessarily to, to save any lives anymore. The purpose now is more about uh, individual glory, really, than it is about community flourishing, Now, go with me for just a minute here, okay? It might seem kind of odd, but as I reflect on that story, I can't help but think about the church. As I think about that story, I can't help but think about the church. I mean, we have fewer dogs, for sure. Well, I don't know, after COVID, I think most of us have dogs, probably. (laughs) Uh, And we gather in temperature controlled environments now, right? But the truth is, we are meant to be an all hands on deck, self sacrificing community of Christ followers living out the way of Jesus to help more people find their way back to God. And I got to tell you, um, I sometimes worry that we might forget that we, the real mission. I'm concerned that sometimes we we might forget that we don't exist for ourselves and that we don't run this race for personal fulfillment. We actually exist for those who have yet to be included in this community. We actually exist for those who have yet to be included. And so that's why we're doing this series about what what we believe as a church. Because we've got to keep our hearts and minds so fixed on the bigger story that we don't forget that just like those mushers in Alaska, we are on a life-saving mission. So I have a new slogan for community, Community Christian Mushers. How do you feel about that? No, it's not going to work for you? Okay, we'll try something else. Uh, If you've been with us throughout this series the first couple of weeks, you know that what we believe is a true story about a king and a kingdom community. What we believe is a true story about a king and his kingdom community. And so far we've talked about how the story starts with this God who is love. He exists as a community of oneness. One God and three persons. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And this God who is love, he created a world that was good and he created people to join in his community of love. And in the beginning, everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. I mean, God's kingdom was being lived on earth, and there's a biblical word for this. Do you know what that word is? The word is, help me out, do you remember? Shalom. Say shalom. Yeah, shalom. And it means to flourish. It means to experience a sort of wholeness and a, and a lasting peace. I kind of like to say, you know what? Shalom really is, um, it's the way things ought to be. You know what I mean? It's the way things ought to be. But then a villain entered the story, and the villain is sin. And sin fractured that perfect harmony, that community between God and people. Sin fractured shalom. And then the rest of the story of Scripture is about God's life-saving mission, a mission that has now been passed on to us, the church. But you see, to understand who we are called to be, we gotta, we got to go all the way back to the genesis of this mission. And so the part of the story that I want to talk about today starts back in Genesis, which is the first book in the Old Testament, first book in the Bible, chapter 12. And here we find Abram and his wife Sarai, okay? And her name is later changed by God to Sarah, so I'm going to call her Sarah for our purposes here today. But at this point, we find Abram and his wife Sarah living with Abram's parents and extended family. Now, Abraham, or Abram was not a young man. Uh, I think he was probably even older than me. And so I couldn't help but start to think, you know, what might that be like? You know, living with my parents and extended family at my age. Uh, Some of you might not know my brother's actually here today. (laughs) So we are together a lot. And you might not know this, but Dave and I, we've actually been working together our entire adult life. We actually started community together. Uh, My mom and dad were on our staff for 15 years up until this past spring. And so, 17, I stand corrected. Hey, you know, okay, enough of that. You know what? He's already correcting me. Older brother, younger brother happens all the time. But think about it. I mean, if we, I mean, if we live together, though, in addition to working together, <laughs> I mean, I love my family, but that might be a bit much. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's pretty much how it was in the ancient Near East. I mean, an extended family, I mean, they lived together, they worked together, they moved together, I mean, they made choices together. I mean, they depended on each other for everything. I mean, the values of that day were very different from ours, and that difference makes what happens next even more interesting, maybe even shocking, because God tells Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to go, and I want you to leave your family. I mean, this was a massive deal. I mean, back then, your family was your safety net, your social network, your security, your insurance, and your retirement, I mean, all wrapped up into one. And, and as not only is Abraham told to go and leave his existing family, I mean, other than his wife, Sarah, he didn't even have any family of his own, no kids, no support structure. And to make things even more worse, God only not only tells him to go, he doesn't tell him where he's gonna go. I mean, this would be like uh, maybe venturing out on your own with no job, no insurance, and no safety net. I mean, his family had to think he was nuts, right? But God makes some promises to Abram in the midst of this command to go that I think helps us see where this story is going. And here's what God says to Abram He says this Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Pretty easy to figure out what the key word is in that passage, right? Help me out, what is it? Right, bless. So not only is God promising to restore what Abram is leaving behind, a family and a place to belong, I mean, he's also promising to pass on a blessing through his family to all people on earth. And you see, in these promises right here, and I love the Be the Church moment that we had right before the talk, in these promises right here, see, we start to get a sense of what God is up to. God is on a rescue mission. He is looking to save the story. You see, in spite of all the self-centeredness and, act, and poor actions of humanity and the shattering of shalom that we call sin, God still wants a relationship with His people. In spite of all that, He still wants a relationship with His people. I mean, every part of God's rescue story involves his desire for a kingdom community. Uh, Author and former professor at USC, Dallas Willard, writes this. He says, the aim of God in history is the formation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Let that one sink in. You see, it's through God's relationship with Abram, who would later be called Abraham, that the people of Israel are established as God's people. God makes a covenant or promise with them that they will be his people. He will be their God. That's done, over, done deal. And the promise to them was that they would be blessed so that they in turn could be a blessing to all people. Not blessed just so that they could feel good about being blessed. No, they were blessed so that they, in turn, could be a blessing to all people. And it marks the beginning of God's great rescue mission. I mean, what God wanted for Adam and Eve in the beginning, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, to be in relationship with him and to represent him to the entire world, he now entrusts to the people of Israel. He starts his rescue mission by calling a community of people to be his people. All right, now if we fast forward in the story, uh, generations have come and gone, and Israel has grown into a large community, a vast nation. I mean, they've, interned, they've, uh, they've uh, experienced famine, internal strife, resettlement. And so the part of the story I want us to look at next is when they find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And it's at this point that God raises up a man named Moses to lead the Israelites out of captivity. And as God leads them out of Egypt, He invites them to follow His ways, Because not only does God want to be in relationship with his people, and this is so important, he wants them to flourish and he wants them to thrive by following the ways of his kingdom. And so what happens is God, through Moses, gives the nation of Israel what's become known as the law. And it's God's instructions for how to live uh, with the most famous part of that law being what? You probably know the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, we were talking about this in a small group this past week, and several uh, that were in the group said that when they were kids, they uh, had to memorize the Ten Commandments. Anybody else have to memorize the Ten Commandments? My word, wow, a bunch of us did, yeah. one of Somebody got points for memorizing it, too. I can't remember who it was, like at church camp or something like that. Anyway, but the Ten Commandments were recorded in Exodus chapter 20, and they include instructions like, you know, don't have any other gods before the one true God, take a day of rest every week, don't murder, don't steal, and whatever you do, do not lose to the Green Bay Packers. That's in there, isn't it? No? Okay, just thought I'd throw that in there because these are instructions for how God's people will thrive. <laughs> but God gives them these instructions, this, this community instructions for how to live in his kingdom community. He wants them to flourish. He wants them to thrive. These are in their best interest. And this is really good news for the Israelites because the culture around them was full of other gods and goddesses whose ideas and instructions changed on the turn of a dime. And when something went wrong in their lives, they kind of had to try to guess which god or goddess maybe they had angered so that they could try to get back in its good graces. But you see, the true God wasn't like that. The instructions God gave his people were not arbitrary rules or steps to follow or hoops to jump through to prove your devotion. No, his commands were meant to help the people flourish, to live the best life ever. God gave them instructions for restoring his shalom. One author puts it this way. He writes, For God's purpose, as we have seen, was not to invent a production line for righteous individuals, but to create a new community of people who in their social life would embody those qualities of righteousness, peace, justice, and love that reflect God's own character and were God's original purpose for humanity. You see, I love the beauty of God's relationship and intention with Israel. And this is so vital, I think, for us to hear. He's not creating... A religion of rules. He's giving instructions on how to live out his original purpose for humanity. I mean, the qualities of like peace and justice and hope and love. I mean, isn't that the way things ought to be? I mean, isn't that what we truly long for? So these commands, folks, they're not about earning, they're about learning. Think about that. These commands are not about earning. They're about learning. It's not about earning good standing. No, God already promised a relationship. It's about learning to flourish. It's not about earning his his goodness or his love. It's about learning how to thrive. It's about learning how to live the best life possible. Now, there's only one problem with Israel. (laughs) They couldn't even wait for Moses to bring the commandments down from the mountain before they mess up again. I mean, even while he was up there, they joined together and they start to worship another god as I was thinking about this, you know, it's almost like the first time uh, your parents think you're old enough to stay at home by yourself. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? First time your parents think you're old enough to stay home by yourself. Oh man, yeah, some of you in the room were so excited that they were leaving because you could finally do what you always wanted to do but could never do because they were there, right? And then there's probably a handful of you in the room that were so scared that something bad was going to happen while they were gone you couldn't even enjoy it. <laughs> Your parents loved you. (laughs) That was not me. But you know, when you read the Old Testament, I mean, you see this cycle repeat itself over and over again, over and over again. God longing to establish Israel as his kingdom, community, and Israel failing to follow and honor him. Repeated over and over again. It's a cycle. In fact, if we fast forward about 600 years, we come to another turning point in the story. Instead of following God as their king and establishing themselves as his kingdom community, Israel decides to take matters into their own hands. They come up with a rescue plan of their own. The people come to their leader. It's a prophet named Samuel and they say this. They say, give us a king. Give us a king to judge. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. They want what everybody else has. Looks good. They want someone to follow who they can see, someone they can touch. They ask for what every other nation has. They want a human king. Now Samuel the prophet was not happy with the request, and so he goes to God for guidance on how to handle it. Look how God responds. Okay, look at this. God tells Samuel, do everything they say, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer ever since i brought them from egypt they've continually abandoned me and followed other gods and now they're giving you the same treatment do as they ask but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them now i don't know how you feel about god's response to samuel and what israel wanted this human king but in his response God reveals something that has always been consistent about his character. Don't miss this. God never forces himself and his kingdom weighs on anybody. God never forces himself and his kingdom weighs on anybody. He lets Israel have what they want, even though he warns them about the inevitable outcome. And well, from here, the kingdom community slowly erodes through a repeated pattern of fractured relationships and fractured shalom, broken king after broken king after broken king, broken kingdom after broken kingdom. And really, this is the pattern throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And at times, it can seem like God's rescue plan has fizzled out or maybe reached its limits. But what the story of Israel truly reveals is God's relentless love and the need for a perfect king to finally come and break the cycle of sin and death and to establish a lasting and eternal kingdom community. Do you see where this is going? And as the Old Testament ends, the the story of God's great rescue plan is not over. Um, As is sometimes said, the night is always darkest before the dawn, right? And the stage is set for the great and perfect hero of our story to come to our rescue. We covered a lot of ground here in about 15-20 minutes, folks. (laughs) And I know it can be easy sometimes, I think, when you hear a talk like this, to feel like it's a simple story or a history about a group of people who lived a long time ago. Or maybe you can just feel like, hey, let's just fast forward this to Jesus. Because that's where this is going, right? And quite honestly, as our team worked on this talk, we kind of had some of those same feelings. But see, I think it's important for us to pause for a moment today and recognize that Israel's story really is our story. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, we kind of roll our eyes, I think, sometimes, and think, man, can you believe how often they mess this up? They keep doing the same thing over and again. How could they repeat the same dumb actions time and time again? But you know what? (laughs) <laughs> I'm prone to that same thing. And I have a hunch you are too. We kind of take matters into our own our own hands just like they did. And if you are here last week, you know we took some time to confess and repent of our sin, the sin in our own lives. And uh, I don't know what your week was like, but I got caught back in some of those same sin patterns that I was confessing of last Sunday morning. And I have a hunch that many of you probably did too. And you know, we often say around here that finding your way back to God is a life-changing moment. And it surely is, but it's also a life-growing process. Because we're all prone to wander, we're prone to um, seek to fulfill our deepest longings in ways that too often take us further from God rather than draw us closer to Him. Am I right? You feel that? And like Israel, I think we all have a tendency to look for our own king. And we sometimes make ourselves our king, or we can look for a king we can follow. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a parent, could be a significant other, maybe it's a boss, or maybe it's just someone else you're constantly trying to please. Maybe it's a political party. Or a powerful leader, and we become convinced that they hold the key to a better life, and so we throw ourselves into their success. I, I'm just speaking from personal experience, because I know I am like this. I'm prone to this. You know, I, I've always been pretty driven. Um, I'm an Enneagram three. Let's blame it, blame it on Enneagram. Any other threes in the room? Okay. We could have like a little support group. <laughs> Maybe everybody else needs a support group to deal with us. Um, but you know' we're, we're a little too love in love with success, or worse yet, maybe even being perceived as successful, right? And so you know I tend to look at what I was concerned about what it looks like to win to be successful, to be accomplished, and too to often compare my accomplishments to somebody else's. And so then if I'm successful, I'm feeling good. If I'm not successful or feeling successful, I'm not feeling so good. And when I do this, do you see I'm getting stuck in the same cycle that Israel was stuck in, right? Rejecting my true king and establishing my own little kingdom with my version of success on the throne. You get that? And then not only do I miss out on all that God wants for me in his kingdom community, I also miss out on living out my purpose, which is really to bless the world. So I think it's time we unseat the false kings we've allowed to rule in our lives and return to our one true king. Are you with me? So I just want us to take a few quiet moments um, this morning to identify these false kings we've allowed to rule. And I just want you, in, a, in your mind, as, and quietly just kind of reflect on it. If it helps you to close your eyes, you could do that. If not, that's fine too. And we're going to have some music playing. It's just a moment for you to talk to God and have a conversation and begin to think about, okay, what are those false kings that maybe you are allowing to rule your life, that you've placed on the throne? What is it, or who is it for you? Maybe, maybe, maybe you'd say, yeah, you know, I've let work. Or pursuing an, an education, another degree. Or maybe it's the pursuit of success that's ruled your life. Or maybe there is a particular relationship that you have crowned king. Or maybe what rules your life is being accepted and liked. I mean let's face it folks, being wanting to be popular doesn't go away once you graduate high school. So just take a few moments now and get honest with God and would you share with him? Would you share with him just a little bit about the kings that maybe you've allowed to reign in your life? Let's just take a few quiet moments to do that. All right. I know it wasn't too much time, but now having identified those kings, I want us to just take some time and pray and just ask God to unseat those kings, would you? Ask him to help you follow him as your one true king. You can use your own words or you can pray the prayer that we have on the screen as a place to start. And it goes like this Lord, I'm sorry for the ways I've made whatever it is, the king of my heart and my life. I don't want to follow those false kings anymore. I commit to following you as my king. All right, let's just take another brief few moments to ask God to unseat those kings. You know, throughout all the centuries of Israel's history, God remained faithful. God God promises he will never, ever leave us. I mean, it was to generation after generation, to Abraham and his children and their children and their children's children. God remained faithful and he remains faithful to us as well. And he refuses to give up on his dream for his kingdom community. And so then what does God do? God sent his son Jesus to overcome our sin problem and to once and for all restore his kingdom. And it is. It's the greatest rescue story ever known. And uh, the good news is it's my story. And it's your story. And it's our story. Um, I hope when you came in, and I think Jesse asked to make sure everybody got one of these, your uh, communion. the, the wafer is on the top and the, the juice is underneath that. These can be a little tricky sometimes to open. So I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and start to peel back that top one so you can get to that cracker. But I just want to tell you that, you know, as we live into the story, as we live into that story, every week we have a chance to to relive it, if you will. When we celebrate communion or the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And I love this part. This may be my favorite part of our time together every week. What we do? We actually get to live into the story, the story of restoration, the story of rescue, this story of reconciliation, the story of forgiveness. And so I'll tell you what, take that piece of bread if you would and hold it in your hands and let's remember Christ's death and resurrection as we eat the bread that reminds us of his body. Go ahead and peel back that next layer if you would. And together, let us remember Christ's death and resurrection as we drink the juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. All right, would you pray with me? Father God, God, we are so grateful that you remain faithful. And uh, when we are wavering, when we put other things on, our th- on the throne, when we are less than loyal to you as our ultimate king, Uh, You were always there. And God, we're grateful that um, finding our way back to you is a life-changing moment for sure, but God, help us to recognize it's also a life-growing process, Lord, and that while your forgiveness is unending and never fails, um, we tend to roam, but God, we can always come back to you. We can always experience your grace. We can always experience your mercy. We can always experience your forgiveness and your love and to be a part of the community of people who will help us get through whatever life brings our way. God, we just thank you for Jesus today. We thank you for this incredible story. We pray this in your name. Amen.